This cup of Earl Grey is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK10. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Darren Moser, sitting in the center chair this week. With me tonight is the EPH, the Emergency Prue Hologram. What programs have you been running lately, Daniel? How's it going, Darren? I'm sure you know that that fashion trends and and technology trends and all of these things they kind of they they come in waves. So right now the real big thing that everybody's interested in is is retrofuturism. So I'm actually running a program based on a, a late 20th century program called Reboot. And I know that you yourself are very familiar with it. And uh, it's a lot of fun to get in there and play all these different games and, and you know, try to defeat the bad guys. It's I'm, I'm really enjoying it quite a bit. I really like the carpet answer of... Uh late 20th century it's such a broad time span we never never admit that isn't that like a hundred years basically is that something could fall into that window well we know tom paris is an expert so if we have any questions we could just ask him there we go and i'm also joined by famed hollow novelist philip gilfus uh, w- when is your latest piece gonna debut philip ah welcome noble co-host Soon you are about to enter a wonderful adventure of podcasting all about the next generation. Warning, what you are about to hear will be full of trials and tribulations. And, oh, oh, sorry, I was just, just uh, dictating my, my new prologue there, Darren. Uh, oh, things, things are going well. Things are going well. I think I got some good matrices going. I think it's, this is going to be on the, the top, uh, top 10 downloading for the next uh, Hollow Novels. So is it basically going to be a a bare room with you sitting in a high back chair with a fire and a cognac, you know, reading your your memoirs, basically? Yes, and the the person who goes through the hollow novel, their comm badge will weigh about 20 pounds that they'll have to wear so they can recognize the the symbology of, of my Trek fandom throughout my life and what it's felt like to live with it. Awesome. Well, as you might have guessed... uh, we're going to be talking about the holodeck today. Now, it's one of the most fascinating technologies in Star Trek. This multi-purpose room, it allows for completely immersive experiences from narrating a story to a training simulation to a test bed for merging information and physical components. First off, I wanted to discuss the technology behind this experience, the fiction elements and what strides we're taking today to make this room a reality. So... I'm pulling out my trusty TNG technical manual out by Rick Sternbeck and Mike Akuda. And let's see, what are, oh man, I just love this book. I love how just straight-faced it approaches all of these technologies that are completely made up in the 80s. But uh, So let's look at some of these components. So a holodeck is basically a big room. Let's see. So there's four main components in a holodeck. You have the holographic walls, you know, that basically projected image. You have the force field treadmill floor that keeps you from running into the walls. And you also have the transporter and replicator system that is used with the force fields and gives you kind of the props that you might interact with. And last but not least, you have the voice interface. So starting off with the holographic walls, I think this is an aspect of the holodeck that we're pretty dang close to nowadays. There are a lot of technology coming out that it's getting small enough and cheap enough that you can either go a full immersive room like the Cave 2 project where it's all these panels knit together and it can motion track where you are as you're passing you know through a, a room or or something that's a little more personal like the oculus rift the headset with the two displays over your eyes and the ears that are trying to immerse you in an environment but you know i think this is just a always been one of those technologies that inspires people to create like many 
technologies do in Star Trek. What what do you guys feel about uh, this aspect of of Trek, uh, Daniel? Okay, uh, I guess I'll start off. I'm, I have a lot of problems with the holodeck in in as a whole, but I guess we can get, get into that as we go on. This specific aspect, the idea of that you're in a room and it can project on the walls and the ceiling and the floor, like a world around you, is actually really cool and and fascinating. And like, I want I want to go to that place. I, I would like to. Honestly, I'm sure that you guys probably feel the same way. If there, if it existed in the real world today, we would probably go on the Enterprise Bridge. Like that's where we would go in that room. We would like press all the buttons and and do all this fun stuff. Uh, and it certainly allowed the writers to create unique and interesting stories. Something they may have relied a little too much on later on, but the certainly the concept of the holodeck is is very futuristic and very very cool. So what what would be program Prue one on the holodeck. Oh, that is a tough question. Can we not talk about it on the air? <laughs> no, 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 no. That would be Prue X one. But if it was just plain Prue one, I, yeah, I, I guess. I, you know, I I don't know. Probably something like the Bridge of the Enterprise, or maybe like a lightsaber battle, or you know, I don't know. Maybe I would be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I don't know. It would be something crazy that I can't do in real life, uh, which is which is the strength of the holodeck. You know, I mean, would that be your exercise program that you would be fighting off foot of oh, uh, the foot oh, clan? Absolutely. absolutely. Once you get to level ten, you actually get to fight Shredder. So, what uh, would Gilfus One be, uh, or Gilfus A uh, be for you, Philip? Oh well, 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 Darren. When I'm doing a holodeck program, there's no bloody A, B, C, or D. <laughs> Okay, I just want to make that clear. Yeah, I, I mean, the, 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 the Bridge of the Enterprise would probably would be the, the first thing off the top of my head. Um, but I, 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 there would probably be some Doctor Who stuff, maybe, or maybe just some real-life real, real life Earth, you know, locations, places that have either happened or, or never happened, um, you know, like the Grand Canyon, which I've never been to, or London, which I have been to, or different places like that. So, I mean, because I think the thing... When we talk about the holodeck episodes, especially in the next generation, I mean, one thing I, I want to remind everyone is that you know it's set up an encounter at Farpoint that this is brand new technology. So I know a lot of people make fun like, oh, the holodeck's breaking all the time. Like the thing is new; it is it is the newest thing out there, and this isn't something that's been around for like decades. I mean, you know, Riker and Wesley are going crazy, and Data are going crazy about it. The first episode, Picard goes about goes crazy about it when he goes to Dixon Hill because they really have never used it for something like that. And so this is kind of brand new technology when TNG introduces it. So the fact that it doesn't always function correctly is just you know, it's a bug. It's a 1.0. And then 2.0, and then you know they have to wait for the new iOS to update every now and then. So. so your your first program wouldn't be Independence Hall in 1776, Philip. See, I'm not a well. See, that's a Declaration of Independence. I would much rather see 1787 when they're doing the Constitutional Convention. So that's okay. Uh, yeah, Jefferson. You know, 87. It's a good year. So yeah, <laughs> we don't have a good relationship with Jefferson, so he can go do things. I think program Darren one would probably be. I think just uh, I would just make this my house. I would just have a small apartment in the city, and it's it's a holodeck. So when you go inside, it it feels like this massive Disneyland plot that you can you know just have all this space. And in real life, we'll just all be standing three feet from each other, but you know we won't know it, and uh, we'll be able to explore all our rooms. And you know, oh, imagine the haunted house you could make on the holodeck that would be a fun experience. Now, one thing you did mention, Darren, about the aspects of the holodeck, which we never saw explicitly, but we had to have seen implicitly, was your treadmill function. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, and it's a very quiet treadmill. I have to, you know, so God bless them in the 24th century. They really, really know how to make Space their treadmills. Treadmill. Yeah, that, that is super quiet, because I've never been on one that didn't sound like a train coming down the... Uh, the rails, but uh, yeah, you know, the fact that we're walking and we're walking and man, where's that back wall? Oh, oh it's right over here, Commander. Uh, see, oh, there it is, but we're never going to touch it. We're never going to touch that back wall. In space, no one can hear you run. <laughs> exactly. Now, as, as from what I understand about it is it's basically like a force field, like the floor because remember, in the holodeck, all solid objects, you know, solid, quote unquote, are 
reinforced by force fields and miniature tractor beams and projections and things like that. So the floor, in essence, is a force field simulation of dirt or grass or whatever you're walking on. And so as you're taking a step, it can almost kind of moonwalkish be moving underneath your foot as you're stepping and just working at keeping you relatively in the center of the room. The the crazy part uh, for me is not so much the treadmill effect, it's the optical distortion. So if you and I walk into a holodeck and we're standing right next to each other, you know, we could be walking along a road and and that's easy for the holodeck to do. But let's say you start walking one way and I'd start walking the other. From what I understand is it projects some sort of lens between us, almost like a imaginary screen. And again, it feels like it's not there, but that lens has to distort our view of each other so that it actually looks like you're getting smaller and I'm getting smaller and we're getting farther apart. It's once you start adding multiple people, it it gets very complicated very quickly. So it would be as if, oh, say Daniel and I were were on a ship, and somehow the one Darren had been pushed off and was in the water. Yet somehow we're still in the same room. Exactly. It. I think the the unglorified version of the holodeck is really we're all in tiny squares of screens, and we just feel like we're next to each other. I mean, technically, it could even the person I'm interacting with, or, you know, if we give each other a high five, you could actually be in your opposite corner and a holographic Gilfus is giving me a high five. And who knows how much it recreates just to give that distortion or that sense of depth. It, But I think that's one of those things where, uh, you know, they had fun filling in the techno babble, but at the end of the day, it, it just, it was a plot mechanism, probably as most utilized as the transporter to just let's place the crew in a location, you know, anywhere. I mean, how else are, besides Q, he's the only other deity that seems to be able to place us in medieval times or in a forest environment. I'm I'm kind of surprised that, you know, when Beverly is having her annual mandatory play, that that's not 100% performed on the holodeck. Instead, it's, oh, let's, we'll, we'll convert 10 forward and put a single wall like, you know, some small black box theater, you know, from the late 20th century. No, we can't have an actual, it feel like we're in a house and use this thing called the holodeck. No, let's, we have to, you know, just get some two by fours and, and get the prop master. Is that another position? You have the foil, you know, master waiting for Picard. You have the prop master waiting to build Beverly's latest creation. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I think Chief O'Brien is probably the one doing it because he gets so bored in the transporter room, and the guy can make anything. So, like, you're like, well, when you have a play it takes place in 18th century Germany, can you do the scenery for you? And he's like, I got it. I mean, I'm doing my ship in a bottle right now, but as soon as I'm finished, I will have that done for you. Like, I'm really good at pushing the button on the replicator and having it make whatever you need. (laughs) The holodeck suffers from the same problem that all Star Trek technology does, but it suffers from it to a much higher degree. Okay, so if you start thinking about transporter technology, you're like, oh, okay, so it disassembles you atom by atom and sends you over a beam of light to a different place and reassembles you. Well, then isn't aren't you dead and it's sending a different copy of you and i mean there's there are problems with it but we can suspend our disbelief well warp drive you can go faster than the speed of light it actually bends space and and then you start to think about that for a little while and some issues pop up as well the holodeck i think suffers from this the most where it's like you're right as soon as you get three four five people in the same holodeck which is a 12 by 12 room how do they not see each other how do they not hear each other how do they not you know i mean how does that work it doesn't really make any sense and you know you just kind of have to let it go i think just to enjoy the stories well maybe like philip was saying when they're remarking at this new holodeck maybe the i mean it's not like holodeck technology came out that year and they slapped it on the flagship i would assume that they had maybe more crude versions that were literally a room and it would make you feel like you're in another room or maybe in a small clearing in a forest, but you couldn't really go anywhere. And that was the whole remarkability of this new Generation 10 or whatever they would call it, holodeck that, okay, this can actually, 
immerse you to a level that holodecks couldn't before. I believe they called it the next generation holodeck. (laughs) See what you did there. But the last component of the holodeck that is very similar to today's technology is that wonderful computer voice interface and uh, whether it calls for a person to you know end the program or materialize sidebar i have to give props to any actor who has to pretend to be a frozen hologram because that is hard as a little kid i tried to be a frozen hologram and it is very hard to be completely immobile you know, while Patrick Stewart is giving his lines, let me just tell you. But nowadays we have, you know, Jarvis in the Avengers and Siri on iPhones and Hal. And yes, some of those are fiction. But as the point is, we're we are progressing on a type of interface where it could be much more vocal driven. I, I couldn't see Jean-Luc pulling out a keyboard so quaint to, to type in his commands on on how he wants his Dixon Hill novel to progress. Now, one feature that was notably lacking in the holodeck was a privacy lock. I mean, and everyone's just waltzing in while you're having your holodeck fantasy. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, regular, whether it's Pru-1 or Pru-1X. You know, people are just waltzing into programs like, would you, you know, just, you know, like, hey, I'm having my holodeck. It's locked. Until I'm done, if you want to come in, call me over the combat. Just don't come in. You would think on maybe the Enterprise E, they'd build like maybe a small foyer, you know, outside the holodeck. So it's not directly adjacent off of a main corridor, you know, a little place to get ready and maybe put on your costume and and get in into the spirit of it. I mean, we have to address it, obviously, maybe not on the D because there are so many people. It's like a community and you can go out and meet new people but something on like say voyager where it's a smaller ship no even on the d this would occur of course that people would use the holodeck for certain purposes without a doubt i mean it's it's human nature and the fact that anybody alexander rojinko was conceived on the holodeck. <laughs> That's exactly right. In Worf's calisthenics program with Skeletor watching because he was just frozen there and he couldn't look away. But that's my point. Like, what if Riker decided, uh, well, maybe this is a bad example. If Riker decided that he wanted to use the holodeck at the time, he would probably just take advantage of that situation. And- hey, hey. He doesn't need your fantasy women. Well, I don't know. How does one decide when leaving the holodeck? Do they have enough time for a costume change? Or or do they need to just come to the bridge immediately in whatever they're wearing? Because it's, you know, I'd like to see Picard walk onto the onto the bridge in full Dixon Hill with makeup. He did. He did. Yeah. <laughs> he he did. When he did the, when he was ants the first time, the big goodbye. That's when he was talking to the insect people. And, also- and Generations. Generations where I think uh, Brent Spiner was interviewed about Generations saying he felt like he was Liberace there on the bridge of the Enterprise <laughs> with his uh, full get up. All of them, were, all of them in Generations were still in their costumes, weren't they? Yeah. In that one scene? That's right, after uh, shoving Worf in the ocean deep. That was not funny. <laughs> I'd stay out of sick bay for a while. Except for Beverly, she had actually changed. Although for Data to stay out of sick bay is not difficult because he's an artificial life form. <laughs> but I, th- I think one thing about TNG is that there was definitely an evolution of the holodeck. Again, we take it for advantage because we've seen the holodeck on TNG, we've seen the Hollow Suite uh, DS9, and and then Voyager. But you know, it was it was interesting those one or two per seasons. There'd be some times when they would have simulations where you still saw the black wall. It was just like a person. That was a simulation. Like when Yar is doing her self-defense programs, slowly evolved into recreation purposes and slowly evolved into more fantasy. So I think it's it's interesting. It kind of parallels sort of different techno- technology development, whether it's been the internet or anything else. Like, you know, we're just doing this for one purpose, and then it kind of just evolves. Yeah, and especially with the interactivity that is inherent in the holodeck, I mean, now we're seeing video games become much more of a story-telling medium where you are a character and you are playing through an adventure more so than a movie where you're, you're kind of static and you have to just watch whatever they show you. And I think a holodeck program would almost be the next logical step. It's more like a video game than it is like reading a book or having a book you know, dictated to you, and and it would require a pretty complex program to have any sort of interactivity, you know, without 
you know, falling into a, a Zelda trap where it's like, I'm sorry, the, the, the person you're talking to does not have any answers for you at this moment. You know, it, and you, so you start to hear the same three, you know, recorded responses. And uh, I think you could easily fall into that trap. Darren, I, as you were talking, I'm going to give you all the credit. I actually think I've just solved all of the holodeck problems. All you have to do to make it a believable technology and a realistic technology, shrink the holodeck to, what, an eighth of its size? Just a small, tiny room where one person fits and everyone gets in their own holodeck and those holodecks are networked together. That way, you don't have these problems where multiple people have to see or hear or or interact in different ways, but everybody can be projected wherever that they should be. And once they're in the same room in the holodeck, they can then interact that way. So it's, it's, you're right. It's a video game. It's, it could be a multiplayer video game. You're more like you're plugging into the matrix than you are going into this giant romantic lounge of, Hey, look, everyone's here at the party. And it's like, no, go into your cube. (laughs) Exactly. Your alcove. Wait a minute. Daniel, are you trying to make us all Borg again? It might be in the best interest of the Empire. It doesn't matter. It's not the point, but I'm just saying. But no, I think that's a good point, Daniel. I think, you know, for the, for the purposes of the story of TNG, it, it it's much more grand to have this large room that you can have people in, but it's much more practical to have a designated spots. Uh, when researching this topic, I, I did read that uh, in some of the novels that continued DS9, they talked about they would often have all of the fleet captains in a same conference room, and they basically all went into their own respective holodecks, and they had it all networked together where they virtually showed up in the same conference room, whether they, even though they were several light years apart and they were just seeing representations of everyone else who had been invited to the to the hangout basically and you know that was used to for just communications and and interact and logistics basically as they were all in the same room together that technology was based off of uh, let's as we wrap up the technical side of the holodeck there were two other components that branched out of the black gridded room and those were the hollow communicators and the mobile emitter in star trek voyager Uh, the hollow communicators in deep space nine were basically we're going to put a circle around you on the floor and you're going to be a holodeck if you stand in front (laughs) inside that and it it made sense and it it helped kind of shoot the scenes a little more less talking on a view screen but it definitely didn't get a lot of screen time after the few gimmicky times they used it. Didn't they use that with Eddington, right? Is that wrong? That's Eddington, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that was the main use is they brought it in to, to tracking down Eddington. And that ma- that makes sense because you don't want to have these long discussions with a view screen, you know, you're, when you're trying to, to catch a man. Yeah, so. I liked it. I mean, I, I liked the idea of it. It was cool. It made sense. Um. On the other hand, I think you, I don't know, it's, it's, I feel like you kind of lose something like the idea, you know, talking ship to ship over the view screen is, it's a very Star Trek-esque element. And, and I, I don't like the idea of, oh, so we'll just bring the actor on the bridge set because then you kind of lose the, the world of, oh, this is what their ship looks like. And you can cut them off and like, it's. And that's why it only lasted one episode. <laughs> well, and the difficulty is. And and this is one of the reasons the writer said they didn't use it a ton is how do you visually communicate to the audience? Well, this person didn't just beam over. They're not actually here, but it looks like they're just standing, you know, inside like the timeout box and they can't step out of it. So so visually it's difficult to communicate what you're seeing. And I mean, that's why in Star Wars, they always have kind of those lines of resolution going through them. And it's very obvious that. They're not actually there. And usually they're like 12 inches tall. Right. You know, in the palm of your hand. Right. <laughs> uh, but the last great technology that came out of the holodeck was a piece of, I'm going to say, was it 25th century technology? Uh, the mobile emitter that allows the doctor to basically leave the confines of his uh, plot-written destination of the holodeck and, uh, and sickbay. And I think that was... A brilliant writing stroke 
on that show because you don't really think about it, but wow, all these episodes in the beginning, he cannot leave this room. And that it must have been extremely limiting to the writers. So when Voyager returned, did they share that mobile technology with Moriarty? They should have. They just left him in his little cube. He wouldn't know any better. <laughs> or are we left in our little cube? <gasps> Man, it, uh, these are... Hold on, I'll do it. I'll do it. Computer in program. <laughs> Arch. <laughs> Nothing. Okay, we're good. Okay, so moving on from the technology of the holodeck, what are some of your guys' favorite holodeck episodes? And this could be an episode that primarily features the holodeck or it just has a funny scene uh, like, you know, Generations, I would say, would be a great example. Has a great use of the holodeck, but is not exactly a holodeck movie. That's more of a, of Insurrection. <laughs> well, I think I have I'll, I'll two choices. One's more of a general choice and one's an actual episode. My general choice is, is basically because, you know, I have to support my man, is all the Dixon Hill episodes, which would be The Big Goodbye, Manhunt, and First Contact, the movie. And, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a brilliant... That, of course, that whole time period, I just love the whole 40s film noir, you know. I, they, they may have stretched it a little more in first contact with Nicky the Nose, but nevertheless, he, he still got to have a cool white jacket and dance. Um, so I love that. But if I could actually had to name an episode <laughs> for a holiday episode, it would be A Fistful of Datas. That is a great episode. I, I think it really kind of, kind of lets... Data go into that semi villainous role without going full lore, but you know, and and it adds that sense of that sense of danger. I think it probably resulted from some sort of bet of like, man, Brent's really good. Yeah, I bet you he could play every role. (laughs) So that must be your least favorite episode, Daniel, because it has an actor playing, you know, himself in different roles of the same character. That's different. I mean, he's because he's. Oh, that's different. Okay, <laughs> it, okay. Excuse me. It is totally excusable why it's different in that episode because he is a computer program. He's hooked into the computer at the time and he's glitching. So he's in control of the holodeck. He manifests as these different characters. That makes total sense. No problem with that. It's a great. I actually love uh, Fistful of Data. I think it's one of the few times that the holodeck malfunctions that makes sense and seems believable. And I don't. Oh, no, that's not true. I was going to say, I mean, are 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 the heroes ever in danger? But they are, aren't they? At the end, I... they are because basically they have to go to a gun duel against someone with the reflexes of data. Yeah, that's the big right, right. That's the line where they go, oh, he he could totally take you apart, Orf. Yeah, and the safeties are off. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess I excuse it in that episode because that episode is so much fun, even with like the terrible Troy Texas accent and like I was about to say that was a great fantasy role for Troy. She actually got to play an interesting role. Yeah, I well no, I mean I like her. I like Troy as a character, generally speaking, but it's just like uh, I mean it's Troy and Alexander's there. Okay, you guys have probably just recently learned of my intense hatred for Alexander as a character. He's like the worst and uh but i i actually really like a fistful of so would you abandon him daniel like his father is that how you would treat alexander especially in the holodeck in that episode you never even visit him when was the last time you saw alexander daniel (laughs) especially in the holodeck in that episode i'd be like hey you can have him he's all yours man well and i think we do see the holodeck used once troy is starting to try to take her kind of placement exam her officer's exam and I think they recreate the bridge in a simulation as she's trying to give orders. Main engineering. That's right, main engineering. And But that's one of those really underutilized functions of the bridge that you, you don't really see. I mean, you could all, you could even roll the clock back to the, the old Star Trek movies where you have everyone dying on the bridge of the original Enterprise. And that's obviously a, a physical mock-up set, but uh, obviously as technology progressed i'm sure starfleet academy got with the times they're probably the first ones with the holodecks because i think they would use it a lot more what would you say your favorite episode would be uh with featuring holodecks daniel is it would it be if it's full of datas or no absolutely not actually i have two answers and i hope this is okay Uh, my first answer is just kind of a throwaway answer where i love the use of the holodeck and relics for so obviously for the obvious reasons like it's 
it's the Enterprise. We always make this joke on on uh, Earl Grey where it's no bloody A, B, C, or D. It's and it's it's cool. I like it. I like I like that. That would be a realistic use of the holodeck if someone in that crazy situation were to stumble upon it. Like, hey, I want to recreate my glory days. This is what I want to see. I want to see me in my prime where I was. I, I mean, it's wonderful. And to see Picard on that bridge too. I don't know. I love it. I love it. That's actually not my, but that's probably my favorite use of the holodeck. But my favorite episode with the holodeck is uh, just probably just to annoy Philip a little bit. It's probably hollow pursuits because it also seems like the most realistic use of uh, the holodeck by a character. Is that a Barkley episode, Daniel? It is the first Barkley episode. That's right. Where he, where we have the goddess of empathy played by Troy. And, uh, you know, everybody has a sword and it's swashbuckling fun and it's really creepy and neurotic as well. See, Barkley needed a privacy lock on the holodeck. That was mine. He needed one. Oh my, I mean, imagine if you're in there saving Troy and then all of a sudden Riker and Jordy and I think who's, who was anybody else with them? Data? Wesley and Riker. Wesley. Wesley. You're right. Yes. Oh my goodness. How inappropriate would that be? Oh, with their musketeer uh, mustaches. Riker's about like five feet tall or something. Or or what if uh, the, the the whole senior staff is heading down and they were they, they had booked to use that holodeck for their staff meeting uh, in the next hour block and they walk in and go, what the? I do like actually a little side note. I do like in that episode that they build kind of a social etiquette around the holodeck when Jordy mentions to Barkley that Reg, you don't you don't make holodecks of people, you know. Like that's frowned upon. Like people are not are supposed to do that socially. It's, and I thought that was interesting. I th- and and that would make sense because people would be uncomfortable with that idea. I think. Which I think is a a thin line coming from Jordy because I just watched Booby Trap where he's making out with the uh, engineer he created on the holodeck. So it's more of a do what I say, not as I do. It's okay. I didn't read that line in her do- in her dossier about her being married, so it's totally fine because I didn't do my research. Yeah, he he, he makes up for that in uh, the other episode that she's in which i'm now going to forget the title of when he shoves his foot as as so deep in his mouth (laughs) galaxy's child yeah so oh yes we have to sour the milk yeah that was weird no it's true and it is interesting also in hollow pursuits how for star trek to deal with something like addiction it that is a little out of gene's playbook you know to to be dealing with a problem in their society which is basically how they're framing it you know where everyone's not quite getting all along when uh when you're making holograms of your friends and (laughs) and putting them in weird settings yeah i mean i'm wondering did you you must have talked to philip about this beforehand because that was a lot of the problems that he had with the with barkley before but i i I think it's refreshing to see a character that doesn't quite fit like he's so awkward and And it gives them an arc to grow He's able to progress and not just be the cookie cutter, perfect Starfleet person. And we would not have that wonderful scene in First Contact, which makes the whole build up worth it. I love that scene. Now, well, I, I guess I don't know. Well, Darren, what are your favorite episodes? Uh, I would say I like A Matter of Perspective. Uh, it, I love its use of the holodeck in that court case where they're and and that's a brilliant use of it i commend the writers to do that because before it had just been you know for recreation and maybe some light training but to when he when picard basically says hey we have the ability to recreate off of testimony and security footage and sensor readings to kind of reconstruct what is going on but as a courtroom drama it you know it's you know Perry Mason Riker and he's he's basically it does show how as Troy says well you're both right in the way of remembering it and that's kind of scary because if the holodeck can't prove you right then you're in trouble and the episode was so good that Voyager stole it that's right uh and actually i i now that you bring it up um does it it doesn't sully my idea of Riker but I kind of feel he was a little guilty in that episode. Like that's the, like when I walk away from that episode, I'm like, okay, Riker may not have killed anyone, but I would totally buy that he assault not maybe not assaulted this woman. He wasn't quite above reproach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he acted guilty the whole time. Like, Captain, I need to speak with you. 
Number one, I don't think that's appropriate. You know, it's like I, I totally buy that he was like. But I'm totally losing this court case. I need to speak <laughs> to you. I saw what you did for data, and I need you to do it for me. Yeah. Picard could have a similar moment where he's reading through, you know, the security footage, and he smiles, and then he realizes what it really means, and he's and he's <laughs> crestfallen on his face. But, no, it, and I mean that d- episode does go into the trope of, well, the holodeck's going to be able to do this one thing, which it never, ever does again, which is if you create a perfect replica of a space station with complex machinery, it will act upon whatever particles are directed towards it in the middle of the ship, not through whatever, you know, entryway or whatever, you know, thing you had set up for those particles to enter your facility. No, it's going to pretty much act the same way. Yeah, but if you look past that, it's a great court case episode. And that's my argument of why the holodeck is such a new technology. Because, again, they don't know how to use it or they don't know all it's capable of. And so I feel like... It didn't come with a technical manual. Yeah, I feel like TNG can get away with it in certain respects. And I think the other series can't. They have no excuse because we broke it. With a crew of over a thousand, I'm surprised they don't have a person who's just dedicated to maintaining the holodeck. Think about it. There should be a person that that is their job. It's 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 like even a rec facility manager, holodeck technician. But no, eh, who? It's the holodeck. Anyone can just punch a few buttons. We don't need someone who actually knows what they're doing. Actually, what is the episode where Wesley has to? Jordy and Wesley are down there, but Wesley is like, "Oh, I read the schematics on the holodeck, and I know how to fix this." Blah 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 blah. That's the entire first season. I think that's the big goodbye where he's shot. Uh, where the crewman's been shot and they're trying to figure out what's going on and the door won't open. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. a door on a, on a state, uh, on a ship. And you can't, but you have phasers, right? Okay. No, but you're right. You're actually right. The one you're right. The one problem with that episode, Darren is we could fix the entire Voyager seven series run by recreating the caretaker on the holodeck. And guess what? If, if all of these inadvertent, Side effects are going to happen anyways if it's on the holodeck. Well, we can get thrown halfway across the galaxy. So you're right. There there are certain limitations that the holodeck just seems to go beyond. Well, one thing that we touched on that, that I mean, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's easy to just like, we're not going to talk about it. But let's just talk about it briefly about with Barclay and holodeck addiction. You know, it's it's talked about explicitly that look, people fall in love in the holodeck. You know, uh, Riker meets Minuet. Jordy meets fake Leah Brahms before he meets real Leah Brahms. And then Jordy gives that speech to Barkley like, hey, I've fallen in love in the holodeck. I know it happens, but, you know, you got to know when it's time to turn off the program. Janeway. Yeah, but, um, but you know, I think it's interesting. And, you know, the Internet nowadays has a primary use, which is not for learning or for whatever. And I have no doubt that 300 years from now, the holodeck would probably have a primary use that is not for training or recreation, or at least... Unless it's built by Apple, in which case it will have such secure filters on it, and you won't be able to install any of those programs. There's always a way around it. But then I think that then it comes into the, you know, when do you know when to leave this fantasy world? I mean, other than you got your duty shift in three hours, but I mean, it, it would be easy to see someone well not not even someone like Barclay because I'm not going to pick on him but I think anyone um, um with somewhat human nature uh to just like okay man I got this fantasy world I'm never leaving until I have to go to work you know I'm not spending any time in my quarters I mean you could kind of see a comparison to you know like like MMORPGs like Second Life I mean you or or any kind of MMORPG where you're you're clocking in hours into this fantasy world and but what's to stop? I mean, yeah, what's to stop? Oh, I'm I'm off duty now. I'm gonna go, you know, farm for you know, farm for gold and you know, dip mine for resources. Like, what's to stop you? It's so, it's so much deeper than that, though. I mean, like, I I totally I'm with you with the analogy you're making. But even though I le- I don't like to go here, let's go to the Voyager episodes episodes featuring Barkley, where he's sleeping on the holodeck. Like, that makes total sense to me. Like, if you exist... He feels more comfortable in holographic quarters that are identical to his real quarters. They're not any better. He's sleeping in the holographic Voyager. That's awesome. Yeah, if you exist... I mean, if you can create any reality you want, then any reality you can create will be better than reality itself. Like, I feel like hollow addiction is not something that 
one lone guy and a, and a, a ship of a thousand people would have, I think it would be a serious problem in the Federation that everybody would probably face. Like, how do you... If you can create a reality just as real as reality, but shape it into any form that you want, why why leave? Why would you ever leave? If only we had some sort of trained psychologist on board to deal with it. <laughs> or why didn't they build, you know, future starships with not all of the main facilities, but just large areas that were just basically multi-purpose holodecks. Okay, we need this to be the rec room. Okay, we need this to be 10 forward. Okay, we need this to be a containment unit for a a new entity we found. You know, it basically would become the biggest multi-purpose tool of a starship unless it turns off <laughs> and then you're screwed. <laughs> I mean, you could turn the whole ship into a holodeck. I mean, the entire thing could be coated with yellow grids magic yellow grids and then you could you any room any like depending on the purpose or the use like you could have it being you know controlled by holodeck beings and and you'd have three real people in there and then they could do whatever they wanted with well that takes us to uh, the last main point i wanted to discuss is it worth the risk uh, for for such an amazing technology it it often seems that oh it's a holodeck episode the holodeck must be breaking because it seems to be the number one driving force of these plots is, well, you know, we, we, we don't want to look at the eight other days of this you know month that people have gone on the holodeck where it's worked totally fine. No, we have to look at the one where they, they, they hit the wrong button and now it's a death trap Willy Wonka house of doom. You know, that's, that's what the, that's what's interesting. That's what people want to see. But it, it comes to the portion with, with safeties, why even have safeties? Why even make that an option? You know, it's like, it's not, and safety is such a clean, safe little word. It, why not say, would you like to run the holodeck in death mode or, you know, or non-death mode? Because really, that's what it is. Would you like this to be able to kill you? Would you like to be able to OSHA die on the job or or not? We get more achievements and accolades in that quest if you play it on death level. I mean, that's that's really what I do it for. Would you like to play like with one life? If you die, you do not respawn or leave the holodeck. So you're right, Darren. I mean, not only are there the times, which are many, that the holodeck itself is a death room where anybody can be killed if the safeties are off or whatever, but you have circumstances like Angel 1 where... The holodeck actively creates a dangerous element that infects the rest of the ship, and it makes no sense. Why would you have this thing? I mean, it, it literally quarantines the Enterprise. It wipes out all of the senior staff that are on the ship. They can't. Nobody can get back onto the ship because the holodeck wanted to make some crazy super virus out of nowhere. I mean, it's never really explained, but you're right. Why would you create a system that could hurt, harm people? I don't. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't it doesn't make sense, but maybe it's along the line of, you know, we are looking 300 years into our future and maybe that's the only thing that's exciting anymore. Is it to be real? Because we've lived with simulations and and video games for so long. It's like that doesn't do it anymore for for our imagination. Well, and I think the I mean, not to get too serious, but but that's sort of sometimes something of the. uh the debate upon when you look at some more of the stuff like you know Grand Theft Auto or whatever, when do you, which I, I'm not we're not there now. I'm not trying to make the argument, but when we go to the holodeck technology, when do we move from you're killing people in a fantasy realm to you're actually killing people, even though it's not real? You know, when I'm holding a holographic gun in my hand and shooting a holographic person, it's not real, but aren't I really killing someone? You know, psychologically speaking, and when do you start blurring reality and fantasy? What is that doing to your mind and, and conditioning yourself? Yeah, how real are we going to make things until we be like, uh, did we cross the line? Is the line right behind me? When you're playing Holodeck Mario and you step on that Goomba, is it going to haunt you for the rest of your days? Unless you're Moriarty or the EMH, I think you're probably safe. Well, uh Psychologists would probably differ. I mean, especially like you could have post-traumatic stress or PTSD from that. I mean, you're like you get the rush, and then you're gonna have to be like, it wasn't real, or was it? And then you'll have some weird Riker dream of being in a theater play. It is a very scary experience. Well, as we hit final thoughts, are there any other 
aspects of the holodeck that you wanted to touch upon that we missed? I think we covered a lot of things, safeties, death traps, good episodes, bad episodes, the technology itself. I mean, I think the one thing about the the holodeck is especially, you know, with TNG, this is the thing of where we're we're not on a 5-year mission. We're on a continuing mission. We don't know we don't know how long we're going to be gone. In fact, we don't know how long we're going to be gone. We've even brought our families with us. That's how long we're going to we're going to be gone from Earth. And I think the holodeck provides this place that not only is it for training purposes or for recreation, it's also a chance for us to kind of keep in touch with that home. Um, because I think we talked about relics with Scotty, you know, going to the holodeck to find this place of reflection, but also in the, the defector, we talked about Romulans last week, Admiral Jarrock goes to the holodeck to find reflection, to, to see his home planet once again. And so I think it's a chance just for, you know, it's, you either want to go to Tin Ford and look at the stars, or you want to go into the holodeck and walk around the, the place that most had the most meaning to you, but that you can't go to because you're out here in space on a, on a voyage forever. So I, you know, I, I think the holodeck certainly poses a danger, but I, I think the, uh, the strengths outweigh the dangers in the end. And, and I think, I mean, in the next series that we see, I, 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 I'm not like, I don't think we should get rid of the holodeck. I think it should be limited in its ability and power and scope because in TNG and then the subsequent series, it becomes just a plot device. It becomes just this thing that we use as, as a way to put our characters in situations where they wouldn't normally find themselves. And and that's okay. But like Darren mentioned, the Q episode where, you know, he, he brings them into the Robin Hood land. Cupid. Cupid, right? The writers can find clever ways around those kinds of things if that's what they're looking for. But I think it, it's it's overused. It's overutilized. It can be abused. But I certainly, I, I like the idea. I think that it is a future that technology that we will have to deal with. And there are a lot of problems and issues that we'll have to come up with solutions for. So I would like to see the the writers of a future Star Trek series deal with it intelligently and and wisely. Well, it's been fun talking about the holodeck today, but it's just one of the Trek topics that we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, the orb. Looking for Parlock in all the wrong places. Well, and you also get the feeling here that she's only, I mean, Worf really is only being rejected because she's not interested. It has nothing to do with whether or not Worf is Klingon enough or any of that. She's just not interested. She's interested in Quark. Earl Grey. Romulans on TNG. You know, it's this TV trope of of an actor playing their own descendant or, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense. Okay, fine. If you want to... Right, because Data never plays his grandfather or great-grandfather or own descendant, but, you know, that's a terrible storyline. Or Michael Dorn. The Ready Room. Wrong. Well, I think after what he went through with the Zindi, you know, you see he's become very jaded. He's very cynical about things, and it would be easy for him to stay in that place, and it would continue to grow, and he would become nothing like the person he was, and and even lose sight of the person that he was and never be able to get back there. To the journey! Voyager's Funniest Moments. They're seeing Sandrines for the first time, and you see that pool shark guy who is such a chauvinist pig jerk. Who says something to the effect to Bolana of something like, treat a lady like a tramp and a tramp like a lady. It works every time. And she says, Paris, did you program this guy? And he's like, yeah, why? She said, he's a pig and so are you. Commentary, Trek stars. Battlestar Galactica. But with the, the new series, it, it really tried uh, to, to delve much deeper into the social commentary you know, in a lot of ways, I think it was an excellent portrayal of a post-9-11 world. And I think it touched on um, a lot of aspects of our society. Warp 5. Hoshisato. I'm not so sure that I can relate to the background as providing an explanation for her personal insecurities. I, I perhaps wondered if, if a part of that, I mean, it, you put her on, on Earth in her element doing her teaching, working with, with languages in that safe environment. Yeah, I, I don't think she would have the same level of insecurity. Trek News and Views. Barge of the Dead. So to actually get a character episode that doesn't just explore Balana, but ex- explores the Klingon mythos at the same time. 
I mean, that was two for one. Literary Treks. David R. George III, Revelation and Dust. And it feels like an evolution for Starfleet as well in the way that they built a star base. Well, I'm glad that came across because that was sort of one of the things that I was going for. You wanted it to be an evolution in Starfleet's construction of star bases. Mm -hmm. It should be something brand new. And because it's an important station, because it's in an important location, it, it really needed to be, I thought, uh, a grand station. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom, or you can stream and download files from our website. And the three of us here on Earl Grey would like to thank our friend Colin for his wonderful email message he sent to us through the Trek FM system. Uh, thank you for listening, Colin, and we had a great time on your show a couple weeks back. Uh, if you'd like to contact us like Colin and share your thoughts on today's show, just go to trek.fm slash contact. From that form, choose Send a Show and select Earl Grey. These messages will be emailed to the three of us. You can also use the tab on the right side of any page on Trek FM to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. The conversation's always going on with our podcast crew and other listeners in the forums at trek.fm slash forums. And finally, in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Now, beyond the Trek FM communications channels, Daniel, where can you be found on the internet? You can find me on Twitter. It's probably the best way. Uh, username OneUpDan, that is the number one, not the word, where I'm often tweeting about nerdy things such as, oh, Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I mentioned tonight, or Pokemon, or anything like that. So you can find me there. And Philip, how can people contact you? Well, when I have my conversations locked off from my privacy-only setting, you can find me on Twitter, and my handle is NC public servant and nc like north carolina and then you can also read some of my tng inspired articles on the trek.fm site if you'd like to contact me you can reach me at twitter at dr sci-fi that's d-r-s-c-i-f-i or visit my website which is dr sci-fi.com home of the dr sci-fi show my podcast covering sci-fi space exploration and just ranting about the genre before we go we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor for Their today's secret. show. Squarespace is the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, or anything else you can imagine. Create your own space today. Just go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial, no credit card required, and then use offer code TREK10 to save 10%. You're going to love it, and we really thank Squarespace for their support of Earl Grey and Trek FM. Also, if you'd like to personally support Earl Grey, the network, and our programming, visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution, and you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donations to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the costs of production, storage, bandwidth, all the needs that bring Earl Grey and other shows to you every week. Well, I think I'm going to go activate uh, a new Poirot Hollow novel I just received from our latest subspace transmission. Uh, if you'll need me, I'll be in Holodeck 2 with the safeties on. Live long and prosper. Engage. Make it so. Fire. Fire.